One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. G'day, folks, and welcome to another episode of Australian UFO Sightings and Canada's Down Under. We have Phil Tyndale joining us on the show, who is witness to one of Australia's well-known sightings, and probably the rarest UFO encounter in the world that you will ever hear of. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Phil Tyndale. Welcome to the show there, Phil. Well, thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. Mate, it's great to have you on. Mate, you have one of the most rarest encounters I think I've ever heard of when it comes to UFOs. Um, yeah, look, it is, and I recognise that, which is sort of why I guess I started talking about this. Um, so... I mean, would you like me to give the listeners a quick intro as to what, what we saw and then we can go into some details? Is that sort of the plan? Absolutely, mate. Just give us a rundown of what you've seen and what happened and such. And yeah, just give us your story, mate. Yeah. Well, there were, this is 40 years ago. It was a long time ago. Um, there were three witnesses all up, which was myself and my brother um, and a third chap called Daryl Brown. Um, we, my brother and I saw a chase. Um, between these, between two UFOs, um, and Daryl, the other chap, saw a crash. So it was all on the same night, and Daryl lived where the um, where the craft disappeared to. So I guess it's the two sightings combined that makes this quite an interesting experience. Um, we we had a good view of the chase. Uh, we were we were approximately a kilometre away from it, so. Um, and the chase was sort of at the end of our valley above a tree line. So we just saw these bright lights in the sky um, and we saw it from start to finish. So we had a very good, we had a very good view of the chase. Um, and the final move was when one of the craft took off to our right, and disappeared behind the hill. And that's where it crashed, which was out the back of Daryl's house. So um, it's the combination of our experiences or our sightings that sort of gives us a bit of information really. And there's some interesting details which I'll which I'll go into um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. But that in itself is like a pretty so, well, one of those rare encounters for sure. Something you wouldn't see at all when it comes to UFOs. You wouldn't expect to see anyway. No, um, there's there's. I mean, I got to say, since I've started reporting this, um, I've seen very. I've seen a few people. A few people have come and contacted me and said that they've also seen chasers. Um, oh wow! When I was looking for my own information, I found two other reports that in conflict, um, and I'm sort of making an assumption that it's conflict. But it, it, it sort of it's what it looked like, so that's the best thing I can do is describe it as uh, as the appearance, how, how yeah. it looked. Um, so, you know, I suppose I'll just I'll, I suppose I'll just tell you sort of how it all started, how um. Uh, my brother called me into his room one night because he noticed yellow light bobbing around above, above the tree line. Yeah. And uh, he said, Phil, come and check this out because it was hovering there. Um, it wasn't behaving like any ordinary craft and it would zip back and forth and sort of stay hovering again. So um, he said, come and check this out. And the tree line was pretty just under a kilometre away. We lived on sort of perched on the side of the valley and his room looked up the valley um, and it was the beyond beyond the tree line was the township of Stirling. In fact, I'll name roads because if I name some roads, it gives people the opportunity to actually Google it. Um, okay. We lived on a road called Coromandel Road. Along this ridge line, um, there was a road called Gould Road, G O U L D, and this is in the district of Stirling in South Australia in the Adelaide Hills. So most of this event happened what looked like it was along Gould Road, sort of just above the tree line, sort of maybe 100 metres above the ground level. Yep. Um, and what we could see 
were bright lights. So we, we weren't, we didn't get any detail of the craft. But Daryl, the other chap, he got a close look. So he, and he described it as an eight metre long um, well, yellow speedboat, is what was the words that he used for that. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, interrupt me if you like. Andy, no, that's all right. Otherwise, I'll just regurgitate. Sort of. <laughs> no, that's all right. I should <laughs> well, probably um, send a bit of a reminder out to our. Uh... really. Yeah, I'll send a bit of a uh, reminder to our viewers here that um, if they have any questions, by all means, put them in the comments and um, I'll relay the, mess the, the questions to Phil here. So, yeah, by all means, guys, get into the questions there if you've got anything curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, ask away. Uh, but, yeah, as you were there, yeah, Phil. please do. Please ask because it's, it's hard to know what. Yeah. So, Rob calls me into this room and he's in his, to his bedroom and we were 10 years old at the time. So, I know we were young, but it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't change what I remember. Um, so there was a yellow light doing this weird stuff above the township of Stirling. Um, it was a bit brighter than Venus, so it was the brightest thing in the sky. It was just after sunset, about 9.30, so we'd just gone bed. Yep. Um, and it was zipping around, and then it would go, and, and then it would resume, resume its hover. It was approximately 200 metres in one to 200 metres in from the intersection to Mount Barker Road, again, if you wanted to Google this. Um, and it seemed to be doing something there all itself. Now, it was a clear summer night. There was no, uh, no noise from this object. It was dead silent. Uh, we could usually hear stuff. We could hear cars and stuff winding around this valley. So yeah. any mechanical noises would be um, very obvious on, the, on, on this sort of night. Okay, so it's echoing and through the valley. red craft zoomed in. Yeah, that, that would be the usual case. We'd hear noises, we'd hear mechanical noises. And so it was dead silent. And its movements were totally, uh, totally unusual. Um, you know, it was, it was zigzagging and then it would sort of go back to hovering. And this was about 50 metres above the tree line. So it was low, it was low to the ground. Yep. Um, it was bright and it was doing stuff that um, well, most craft don't do. You know, most stuff is much higher than where these objects were yeah so were these but movements like the um, red one came in okay uh, sorry mate uh, so were these movements sort of like at the blink of an eye kind of speed or were they like sort of a bit slowish in a sense but no visible? no no that no so they were they were they were zigzaggy where the turns and reversals were quite um instant um the, and in fact the chase itself was very fast but it didn't look particularly fast until you recalculated the velocities which i did later in high school okay um so yes it was fast and unusual but it was not blink of an eye but the last the last move and we'll get to this when yep. the yellow craft finally took off that was uh that was blink of the eye stuff that was crazy um the rest of it was quite uh just but comprehensible and I won't say normal but you could see it clearly there was it was all the movements were clear. We could see, um, we could see what was going on. We could, we never lost sight of these craft. So we actually, um, we saw this event from start to finish. Where you know, the, first of all, there was the yellow one. The chase happens, and then the yellow one takes off. And all of this took a range. I mean, we we were we were east of this event, and so um, our east-west perception was not as good as the north-south. In the, okay. the north-south direction, the total range was probably about 500 metres where these objects zipped backwards and forwards. And we were about a kilometre, just under a kilometre away from that. So you can sort of imagine that the total event um, probably occupied less than 30 degrees of the horizon. So it's not like we had to twist our heads and look where every direction where they were going. They pretty well stayed nicely in the middle of our, you know, where, where we could see them. So it was Just a perfect it was view. A, <laughs> yeah. It was a good position where we were. Yeah, it was perfect view, perfect view to watch this. Oh, that's incredible. Um, so the red one came along and um, chased the yellow one away. That's pretty well what happened. Um, I can describe, I mean, people, people have a lot of questions, I'm sure, about whether, you know, how do you know it's a chase? How do you know it's hostile? These are the sort of questions that people have often yeah, yeah. Um, asked me. So I, I'm sort of preempting that. Um, and, it, and it's true that there's, there's, I'm, I'm sort of 
imposing my own interpretations and I'll let other people be the judge of it. Um, but the yellow one was busy doing something. The red one arrived. It zoomed up to the yellow one, reversed up and zoomed up again. And it, it, it sort of, it struck me because it seemed that the, um, the yellow occupants hadn't noticed what you know, the presence of the red craft. That's what it looked like. It seemed that they were taken by surprise. Um, yeah, well. And, um, and then as soon as it noticed, it took off, you know, took off like a rocket sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, and, and that was the start of the chase. And from that point on, um, the red one was always pursuing the yellow one. So the, the yellow one was in front, and the red one was behind, and they zipped back and forth around the sky. Lots of rolls and tumbles and zigzags, um, and it was fast. This was this was this was fast, but again, not blink of the eye fast. Um, and again, most of the range of this chase happened within a five hundred meter sort of zone. So um, when I reached high school, there was a hit. There was a there were two landmarks that I was aware of. One was the Mount Barker Road, where we could see traffic, which would wind itself up now um, up the valley. There was no traffic at this time of night, but I knew where the road was in relation to the, the hill line. And to our right, or to the right slightly, there was a house on the hill, and the light from that house would shine directly at, at us. And I knew that that was about 500 metres up the road from the, the, the Mount Barker intersection. So that was my the two landmarks that I had to approximate the, the distance and therefore the speeds that these were doing. Um, so when I reached high school, I worked out, well, it traveled about um, 500 meters in about a, uh, a, a second. Um, that was that was my, I mean, it's only a rough estimate, but that was the approximate sort of speed that um, it, the time it took to go that distance. Um, so if you, if you work out what the velocity is that is, well, it calculates to be at 1800 kilometers an hour but Holy don't geez. rely on that too fast yeah yeah it's, it's supersonic um but it may not have been so i just i put that in just to make people aware that it was fast and possibly supersonic um and then it would reverse see then it would bounce off of wherever it turned and reverse so the accelerations were more impressive than the velocities um the accelerations worked out to be calculated out to be in the hundreds i mean it was at least dozens of g-forces if not one yeah you know, over you know, into the hundreds of g-forces it was a bit harder to estimate the acceleration um yeah. in terms of precision but it was it was beyond um beyond what anything biological could, could handle oh, if yeah. if gravity wasn't if gravity wasn't part of the yeah involved, if you know if they, if they use gravity as a form of propulsion, well perhaps that's how you sustain these accelerations. Um, but uh, yeah, they were the accelerations calculated out to be crazy stuff. Yeah, that is insane. That is an insane um, amount of speed. I'll tell. Sorry. Yeah, they were they were quick. They were quick, but again, it wasn't blink of the eye. So we could we could see it move across the horizon, followed by the red one. And, zigzag back and forth and whatnot but Anthony I'll describe something I'll describe something which I haven't described before which is um, I mean I'm, maybe you've seen the video but I talk about this invisible force that seemed to get used on the yellow one yes I have so heard you I'll describe this. the movements there was no laser beam yeah you've, you've said some people have also seen the video but throughout this chase the red one is pursuing the yellow one and that was the that was the, in, for the whole event, that was the sort of, they were the circumstances. The red one was always chasing the yellow one. Yeah. And suddenly what happens is the chase stops, the yellow one seems to get yanked towards the red one and to within a few metres of the red one. And then it creeps away to a particular distance and then gets yanked back again to, you know, a, a few metres again from the red one. And oh, this wow. repeated. So... The all the autonomy that this yellow one, the yellow craft seemed to have, suddenly seemed to stop and it seemed to be stuck in this repetitive pattern where it would get sucked to the red one rapidly, um, wriggle away, 
and sucked back again. And it was a uniform repetitive process at about, I'm just guessing again here, approximately one second. So it was sort of like a, a zap, zap, zap as this craft would wriggle away and get sucked back again. So that was really quite a, um, an unusual movement. Um, and my brother at the time, I know this is science fiction language, but you know, he, he said, oh, it's been stuck in a tractor beam. And that was our, um, I mean, it's, it's sort of useful. It sounds crazy, but it's Yeah, I was going to say the language. same thing. That was like our a, impression. Yeah, it's sort of like a tractor beam from Star Trek or Star Wars or whichever one it was. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to think it was to call it sort of thing. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly what it looked like, Anthony. And that was my, well, that was my brother's and my own interpretation when this happened. Yeah, wow, and, that is incredible. And this repeated for several seconds. Yeah, and I haven't heard of any stories that um, describe that sort of that sort of motion. No, um, so it sort of makes you think. So like, yeah, what I was the red it. object trying to do by capturing this object? Or well, its other craft, I mean. Well, yeah, I, uh, Doug, Doug, good questions, and um, you know, it wasn't lethal force; it didn't explode. Um, and I mean, I have actually, because, I, because we witnessed this sort of, well, I, I interpret this as a conflict, and especially since the craft actually crashed in the end. So I interpret this whole engagement as some sort of form of conflict. And yeah. so I've looked for other cases of conflict. Um, and there was one I found, and it was very, it was buried somewhere in files. It was on the internet, and I haven't been able to find it again. But it was... Um, there was only one that involved something which could be described as lethal force. So, I mean, I got to say, I'd, you know, nobody wants to hear about aliens involved in conflict because it's, you know, it doesn't um, doesn't bode very well for humanity. No, it'd be very scary. Conflict still exists at the alien level. Um, but my belief is is that there's that, that lethal force is not common and many aliens seem even more benevolent than the ones that Rob and I witnessed. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm trying to reassure anyone, but yeah, it's nobody really wants to hear about uh, bad aliens. No, because we'll be at a massive so, disadvantage so this, if they were to like sort of come at us. Oh yeah, well we, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and and to be honest, you know, if they if they had, um, I suppose, some sort of intention using weapons to control us. It would have been done and dusted decades ago, so I don't think that's, yeah, that's a fair any point part too. Of any um, plan. So, uh, well, just yeah. in regards to that red object, like so how did you um, see that come well, in? Well, it, it just sort of seems to zip in from from above. So we we were we were focused on the yellow, we weren't paying attention where it actually came from. Um, okay. We were looking out the window, and it, it just seemed to come straight down from above. But it might have come in from a side or whatnot. Um, we we were too focused on this yellow object to see where the red one had, had entered our field of view from. Really, yeah, fair. But, enough. Um, we noticed it coming. It came from from a, a higher position, and then zoomed up to the yellow one. And um, this tractor beam event, I can't recall whether it happened more than once or whether. It, it, it was used multiple times. It lasted several seconds with this repetitive sort of zap, zap as it pulled the yellow craft towards it and it wriggled away. And they and they were brutal movements. This was quite brutal. On the, you know, if you were in that yellow craft, you would imagine it would be you'd be shaken around like a sort of ping pong ball. Oh yeah. But once that stopped, the chase resumed, um, and and so the yellow one seemed to get away. It seemed to. I don't know whether the, whether the force was released or whether it managed to escape, whatever it happened. It went back to the chase that we'd first witnessed and the chase continued with the tumbling and rolling and zigzagging and, um, you know, how it was before this sort of little tractor beam event happened. Yeah, okay. So wow. some, that, was, that was the interesting part. Um, now, the, the end of the event, of course, um, I mean, we could go back and, Dig some, dig some deeper holes in all of this, but eventually the yellow one took off to the right and it, it, it followed um, the ridge line. So it followed Gould Road um, to a point where we couldn't see it anymore. There was some sort of hill, there was a, well, there was vegetation and stuff to our right that blocked our view of the end of Gould Road. So we could see the southern end, but not the northern end. Yep. Um, 
And so it dis disappeared behind the trees following the line of Gould Road. And um, I'm not sure how much detail I should give to show, to show where Daryl lives because I wouldn't want people visiting him. But um, he ultimately lived... So at the end of Gould Road, there's a big carting made by the freeway. And um, my guess was that when I, when I saw the report in the paper that this object had crashed. So we, after this chase ended, that was the end of the story for Robert and I. We, you know, we just thought, oh, well, that was interesting. But it wasn't until two days later that we um, read in the paper that somebody else had seen a crash on the same night, um, same time. And this chap lived um, across the freeway on the other side of opposite where Gould Road was. It wasn't directly opposite, but it was certainly very close to where I would have expected um, the yellow craft to, to crash. If, if that's where it had crashed, then yep. it made perfect sense for Daryl to live in that location. And so what happened was we went about, next day at school, we talked about this and all the rest of it. Nobody seemed to care. The parents. So during this event, I, I, you probably know. So we had enough time to run into the parents' room and try to get them out of bed, um, but they they perhaps didn't believe us and they told us to go back to sleep. So we went back to watch this. So we had several minutes, and my best guess from start to finish was about maybe fifteen minutes in all. So it was quite a long time, um, but you know, I guess. Kids don't believe, I mean, most people don't believe kids' stories. And we, we didn't get a great reception about telling other people at school, so we just let it all go. No, it's, plus it's pretty common for parents Saturday, to sort of like just turn around and go, nah, that's you imagining things, you know, go back to sleep, you're dreaming or whatever. Parents are too tired and just want to go yeah. to sleep or go back to sleep, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's a common thing. Yeah, and that was pretty... That was pretty well exactly it, Anthony. That's how they that's how they responded to us. And we weren't about to waste lots of time nagging them. We had, you know, we were far too interested in Oh yeah, you had a bloody I think we, massive show we going on. Well, that's right. And it was and you know, it was interesting. He's a, as kids we knew this wasn't we you know, we knew it wasn't normal. We knew this was something different, so it was worth um it was worth watching. So we um we just went back and watched the, watched this chase continue. Um but when the yellow one disappeared, um, we waited probably, and then that was a blink of the eye. So this, when, when it took off to the right, it seemed to have enough of being chased or decide on a different tactic, whatever it was. And it hit, it hit the go pedal and zoomed up the, um, the, the crest of that hill, followed the crest of that hill along Gould Road and disappeared. But that was, that was incredible speed. That was something that, um, you know, it was... It was blink of the eye stuff. It was, I mean, it was, it looked totally impossible. It was, you know, it happened so quickly. Um, and the red one, at that time, the red one just, we don't even know what happened to the red one, whether the red one followed or just disappeared or zoomed off in another direction. It was like, we saw the yellow one just boof up there and then the event was over. And that was that. That was like the, the, the yellow one gone and we don't know whether it followed or disappeared. Um, so we waited. We waited for about an hour. I'm just estimating here because, yep. as a kid, we, you know, hard to know how long we spent. But it was a long time. We sat there and waited and waited and waited and, you know, hoped that something would come back. But it, nothing came back. But um, two days later on the Saturday, um, so this event happened on a Thursday night, and then on Saturday, um, we went to visit our grandmother, and our grandmother had seen this report on the Saturday paper um, that described another chap who had seen, he heard a loud crash. And so he came running out and this chap lived in Stirling. Um, he'd come running out. The dogs had gone running inside. They were terrified. Um, I can see you've got a picture of the tree up on the screen now. So yes, that was the tree that it, that it ran into. Yeah, wow. Um, That's a massive tree. So Daryl ran out yeah, it is. It was a huge tree. And, and I mean, as upsetting as it was, the new owners of the property cut it down along with about three or four others uh, probably about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, oh, that's <laughs> and that's another story. I went in and, 
yeah, I, I scolded them, for, you know, because I went and door knocked, <laughs> you know, told them the story. They thought I was crazy, but <laughs> um, yeah, you can see the size of the tree, and there was there was still damage visible up at the top of that tree. Yeah, wow. You know, so so Daryl heard- hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. He just crashed and he ran outside and the dogs went running in and... um at that time, he the, the craft was no longer illuminated. So when we were watching it, it just glowed this yellow colour. And my impression was it was actually the skin of the craft that was glowing, not not a light. And I'll explain why I think that's the case. But when Daryl saw it, there was no light at all. It was dark. And he shone, shone the torch up into the tree. You could see this yellow object wedged in the tree about eight metres across. And, um, and it freaked him out and he ran back inside and called the police. And I don't think he actually went back out again because he was too scared to, um, you know, to, in case something happened, he didn't know what was oh, going on. Oh, as you would. But when the police were, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, you know. Um, so he could hear it creaking and groaning. The tree was creaking and groaning under the weight of the craft, which is why he pointed the torch into the tree because it was, you know, making a noise. Um, and when the yeah. police got there, of course, the craft had disappeared. So um, I suspect it took off and just left the tree as as some sort of evidence that uh, something had happened. But to any skeptic, there's uh, there's no way they're going to believe Daryl. <laughs> and poor yeah. old Daryl, uh, he um, never he never knew that my brother and I had seen the chase that led up to the crash. Um, I. Sp- I've spoken to four members of his family, um, his two brothers, his ex-wife, and a sister-in-law, and they all told me that um, it had affected him significantly because it, you know, it pretty well changed his perspective on, well, lots of things, reality. Yeah, it would um, definitely shake you up and sort of open your eyes a little bit, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it seemed to affect. It's, they 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 commented on that and said that it did. Um, you know, that it was a real shame that my brother and I hadn't started looking. Well, I was generally, my brother actually doesn't want to do this. He sort of said, you're on your own, buddy. Um, oh, that sucks. He'll back me up, but he's not going to go public by himself. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, you know the stigma, Anthony. Anybody into UFOs is, gets ridiculed. So it's, uh, <laughs> Especially it's, if they're uh, in a high position. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and Rob's, um, I'm self-employed, but my brother works um, uh, as, as a professional and he's not interested in any uh, bad 
whatever bad publicity, I guess. Yeah, especially back in those days too, yeah. Dave. You got frowned upon and shunned out of the public pretty much. You were pretty much called the crazy person of the town. When it comes to anything paranormal, even UFO-related, it's, it's such a shame that it was like that back in those days. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, to be honest, Rob and I, you know, we were... It was, it was no... Nobody had any interest in it. Um, and my... Well, that was my interpretation. But it was probably they just didn't believe us. So they'd sort of nod their head and say, oh, that's interesting, and, and back to something else that's more relevant. Um. So that, and same with our parents, of course, they sort of had a total lack of interest or appeared to have a total lack of interest. Mind you, when my grandmother pulled out the paper, their interest picked up a lot. They were, suddenly they you know, thought, oh, heck, we should have got out of bed. <laughs> um, yep, the moment of regret. Yeah, it was. It was and it was a moment of, sort of vindication for my brother and I because you know, it was like, well, there, this chap saw it as well. So yeah. you can't say we were making it up now. But um, there was such a lackluster response that as kids, we were very easy. It was very easy for us to just let it go and put it into the bin of, um, you know, campfire stories. And that was pretty well where it stood for 30 or more years. You know, it, both my brother and I would talk about it. Um, when the opportunity arose at a pub or a campfire or, you know, some sort of paranormal story. But apart from that, neither Rob or myself had any perspective on the UFO phenomena at all. Um, the internet wasn't invented, so we couldn't Google to see um, you know, how many other people had seen UFOs. I had never bought a book on UFOs, so it was just, there was no perspective on the UFO topic whatsoever for us. Yeah, well, so what, even um, the local libraries didn't have anything in, in general for UFOs back then? And look, it's possible, but Again, we didn't we, we we didn't really look because people weren't interested, um, and so I wasn't. You know, my my own belief and my brother's belief is, yeah, we're being visited. I mean, that's what it most likely looked like. Um, yeah. Except, so what was the sort of so what? You know, there was no sort of we hadn't worked through the consequences or the implications of uh, what that what this really means. But, yeah. I mean, now, as you know, Anthony, you've sort of dived into the UFO field and you, you can see, um, and, and thank goodness that people have, like yourself, Anthony, because it provides a platform where we can share our stories. Oh, um, absolutely. That's pretty much what I we're was, aiming for. Yeah, yeah. And it's valuable because I was blown away at how many other people had um, described stuff, particularly the, you know, the, the movements of these craft, how they sort of do this zigzag, um, and seem to don't have, seem not to have any inertia. So that was, and that sort of, when I started seeing these other stories that people would describe similar stuff, I thought these guys aren't making it up. They're describing exactly what I saw. Um, and so I realised that this is a global phenomenon. Um, yeah, which is incredible. And we need to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But the fact that they've seen the same thing as pretty much what you've seen, well, being witness to a, a UFO battle, if you were to call it that, that's incredible. It's yeah. very rare. It's, like Most people will just see like a single UFO, like a bright light in the sky, or might see a weird-shaped object in the sky or something like that. But this is two UFOs battling it out in, the, in some weird way. Yeah, yeah. And so there's very few reports of this sort of conflict. Um. There was, there was one in Russia, which I came across again while I was trying to find uh, an old copy of my own report. Um, and a whole township saw five UFOs chasing one. And they described something like a laser beam that came out of these five and it was aimed at the craft they were trying to get. When that craft got hit, it would lose power. So that was an interesting, um, wow. one of the more interesting documented cases. Um and yeah. the South African one was where um, uh, I think, and again, a large number of people witnessed three objects chasing one. And the description was, like if I can remember, it lasted for 59 minutes and then all three objects uh, exploded into dust. So there were those were the two other UFO 
uh, conflict stories that I came across while I was trying to find um, my own story. So I knew my own story was out there. The one that Daryl, the one that Daryl had reported in the Advertiser, yep. but of course we didn't have any copies. So 30 years later, I wanted to redig this story up. So I had to, I had to find Daryl. I had to find the old newspaper clippings. So that was the sort of beginning of me um, putting my own experience into perspective. Really, that's how that's how this whole process evolved. Yeah, well, you've done well there, mate, because you've actually you've opened up a bit of a can of worms there with that one there, and started helping people or encouraging people to come up with their encounters as well. Yeah, yeah, and 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 what I what I've started to do in my own friend group, and I don't necessarily encourage this because um, it leads to social distancing. I mean, that's how I can describe it. But I've asked <laughs> pretty well everyone within my circle of friends and acquaintances. And, and just sort of um, even people who I just, you know, know that friends are friends, but I don't have a particular relationship or anything with them. I've asked them whether they see UFOs because yep. um, I'm interested in the statistics. How many people, how big is this phenomenon? You know, if, if I've seen it and other people are reporting it, how big is it? And I've asked about 300 people uh, within my own friend groups, and they're not into UFOs at all. Um, and of those 300 people, I'd say I'd have somewhere between 20 and 30 people who have described something that cannot be written off as, um, you know, conventional craft or anything like that. Um, yeah, well. It includes abductions. There's, there's people oh. that I know who claim that they've had abduction and contact. Um, and I've, I personally haven't. This is the experience that I've just described to you, Anthony, is my only UFO experience. So I have no, yeah. everything else that I understand is through literature and through speaking to people and not one of you know it's not a personal experience no that's fair enough um but but the point of this was the point of my investigation was i seemed to prove that the statistics where sort of one in 20 people or approximately have seen a ufo and i think it's about one in 200 claim that you know have, have, have been had contact the other statistics that i discovered through um on some of the social media sites and that seems about right. That seems, you know, that seems to be, that seems what, that seems to um, be about the correct statistic. Mine was slightly more, but it doesn't, you know, there's plenty of errors when you've got small samples. So that's how that works. Yeah, that's fair enough too. Did any of your friends so seem that, to um, mistake objects at all? Like they could have said they're like they've seen a craft or something like that, but they could have mistaken it for something that had a bit more critical background to it, maybe like a bit of more logical sort of... Um, yeah, there were there were there were plenty of those, but I, I, I excluded them from the sort of the, the numbers that I just mentioned. Um, now the ones that, I mean, I, I'll give you the numbers. I had three people who said that they had this white glowing object travel beside them in the car, it stopped their car, um, and and one of those people claims to have an abduction event. They had missing time. Yeah, um, okay. I had two people who've had craft that landed in a paddock close relatively close encounters sort of stuff yep um i had three people who i spoke to who had described some sort of contact or abduction event um and there were lots that described satellites or there was more that described satellites that zigzagged and turned and um that sort of unmistakable type movement that some of these um ufos do yep. so they weren't airplanes you know you could have you could say Potentially, they were really high-altitude drones, but we're talking years ago uh, before drones were really invented. So most of yeah. my friend group are, you know, older, um, and so these were sort of, you know, some of the farmers that live next to me, um, and uh, friends, fa uh, fathers of friends and stuff like that. Yep, yep. So no, that's fair enough. Um, so basically, it's all unmistakable yeah. UFOs that can't be accounted for anything that's such a logical explanation to them yeah so these these people really just sort of crystallized that the statistics i mean whether the stats were right or wrong um it certainly demonstrated that um the ufo phenomena has been well witnessed globally and there's enough you know it doesn't take a great deal of um, effort to, to to do a population sample and see how many people have seen it so it sort of leads to the, the 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 conclusion that this is certainly a global phenomena, and that um, you know it, 
it's large scale and there's obviously something going on that we we should be talking about oh absolutely I think it's about time the media and everyone starts speaking about these sort of things. Like it's only just sort of start coming out now with America, um, with the To the Stars Academy sort of opening up about that. Or well, they actually managed to get some of the uh, military encounters out, which is about time to what I think. And um, it's sort of yes. it's, it is sort of opening up a bit of a can of worms there. But it's I feel it's a bit too slow. Like um, I think it was 2016 or 2017 when the Nimitz encounter got released, and then we haven't had another one for another three or four years there till um, recently yes. when they had that um, pilot take a photo of an object in the sky, which is a photo of a photo. And, like, you know, it's... And that was taken with a, an iPhone, apparently. I don't know if that's the the the, uh, the the camera that took the photo of the photo was an iPhone or not, but whatever that pilot was using, it was absolutely high quality. Um but still yeah. couldn't get a grasp on what that object was. But obviously, the stories behind it, it's sort of it's hard to sort of be too critical on it because, you know, the military have their reports they have to do and they're not going to go on bullshit about it. So, um, you know. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, the... yeah, no, go on. Oh, sorry, Anthony. I was just going to say the disclosure is taking much longer than um, anyone who's had a personal experience wants this to be out and about people to talk about it but it's taking much longer than um or than any of us would uh, want it want it to be i suppose um i suppose uh they need to be a bit careful with uh i guess freaking people out who simply you know have never even considered the ufo topic as real so but that's um yeah i'm looking forward to the day where you can where we can talk about this without uh, without this crazy judgment and scepticism that people sort of throw at you. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, you know, it's going to be a massive relief off people's shoulders there, the ones that have had the encounters and have been desperately trying to explain to everyone that I have had this experience, like this experience, this encounter, you know, this stuff has happened to me, you know, I've witnessed this and that. And then for, you know, finally have disclosure there and they go, oh, maybe they weren't talking shit, <laughs> basically. Well, that's right that's right suddenly you suddenly you think well perhaps that you know and and in fact i mean again other statistics seem to suggest that um you know most people aren't fibbing i mean the, the, the difficulty is people's interpretation whether their interpretation is correct but um most people aren't just making rubbish up i mean no, there is right. a small percentage of people do but yeah no it's um it seems like it's it, that's it's the liars are not the problem in this uh, ufo field uh, it's, a, it's an interpretation issue and a misidentification issue. If That's right. Yeah, there's a massive amount of misidentifications there but because a lot of people, they sort of just want to go and throw out the alien card saying, oh, I saw an alien craft there, but instead of going for the critical thinking first and going, hang on, what could it have been? Could it have been a plane, a star, or, you know, a satellite, a planet, you know, something like that. Like, they just want to go and jump straight to the alien card, yeah. which takes away a lot of the credibility of people's legitimate yeah. sort of sightings and that's what people need to start doing. They need to start yeah. becoming a bit more critical on what they're looking at. There's a lot of things to go and take into account for these sort of things instead of just jumping to that alien card. Yeah. So, but yeah, look, it is great that the disclosure is coming. It's finally, oh, eventually coming, I suppose. But um, I think Trump there had that, um, that what was it, had the bill there to go on 180 days or so to go and get some sort of disclosure out there. So we'll see how that comes out, I yeah. suppose. So it's not it's not likely to get squeezed back into the bag. I think this will eventually come out. Um, oh, look, Anthony, this, I'll tell you a little bit about why I think the skin of the craft glows. Is that is that sort of interesting to you? Absolutely, mate. I was actually, that's one of the questions I was going to actually ask you, but um, you got carried away. But by all means, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, start, we, we started dribbling about stuff. But yeah, look, so with this, with this chase that was going on, um, the, there was lots of dodging, duck diving, and weaving and zigzags, and the luminosity of both the red one and the yellow one didn't change. Um, so if it was a mounted light, you would expect some sort of flicker that um, you would see, like on helicopters and planes, when they when they turn their direction. Yeah. Um, of course, the light dims and changes changes as well. And these craft were doing a heck of a lot of zigzagging and turning. Um, and it, yet the, the, the sort of impression was quite an unusual two-dimensional type 
So the luminosity stayed the same entire, through the entire event. The luminosity of both the crafts stayed the same. So that was my sort of like, it had quite an unusual two-dimensional effect about it. And so that's why I think the, the skin of the craft were actually going. And of course, it was, and of course, Daryl's report where he described the yellow one as having you know, yellow skin. And from what Rob and I saw was sort of a bright, bright yellow light, sort of a bit brighter than your street lights, you know, something, yep. you know, where it's got a slight yellow tinge to it. Um, so that was my impression as to why the, why the skin of the craft was going. And of course, it's, there's interpretation. It could be incorrect, but that's certainly um, how it looked to us. Yeah, absolutely. So did, did it look like the, um, the objects were actually casting light or was it just a bit of a, just a glow on itself? No, they were they were very bright. So they they were illuminated. They were brightly illuminated. Yeah, but were they in, um, uh, illuminating so the environment around them? Oh, not from not from our distance, and no. So it's I mean it might have been different if you were directly under it, but we were we were at a quite a distance. So we were it was just under a kilometre from when I sort of did a, a, a line on the map. Yep. But it didn't seem to illuminate anything anything else. So it was yeah, just. Okay. Um, no, it was just the objects that we could see. Yeah. Yep. And they were, I mean, so we couldn't see, we couldn't see any detail of these craft. They were just bright lights. It was, it was Daryl who got the, the close look, who could say that it sort of appeared like a speedboat shape, yep. about eight metres long. Um, and it's, a, it's, I mean, you know, I envy, I envy him for having such a close look. But, oh, you know, we we, I mean, the, the, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you can't have the best of both worlds. We, if we were any closer, we wouldn't have had such a good um, view of the chase because that. You no, know, that, that is true. Zoomed, That's true. That took, yeah. So, so he, he, he didn't really take out. notice of the object in the tree at the time, did he? Until he's shone a torch up there while hearing the noise, he didn't see it like sort of. That's right. At the corner of his eye or anything like that. No. No. Well, he was inside and he heard a loud crash. That's right. And, yep. Um, so he ran outside. He. You know, it was a calm, still, dead, quiet night. And he, so he thought, what the heck's that? Maybe something's crashed on the freeway or something like that. So he ran outside to see what had happened. Um, and the dogs, he had two big Great Danes. That's the picture of one of them there. Um, they ran inside. They were quite scared by, by whatever was outside. Um, he was also babysitting two children as well. And I, I, oh, I wonder whether these kids remember any of this or not. Um, but when he ran outside, he could hear the, this creaking and groaning come from a, coming from a pine tree that was out the back of his cottage that he lived. And so he thought, what's that unusual noise? And he shined the torch up into the tree and he saw this object stuck in it. And that was, that was, um, that was his you know, close encounter. So he would have been you know, probably, well, you know, 30 metres from the underside of that object, 20 yeah. to 30 metres, I would say. Um, Did he describe what sort of noise it was making? Uh, just like breaking branches, something squeak. It was like squeaking and rubbing on the tree. So okay, it, so it could have just like, been the tree um, under stress, it, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, like it was groaning under some weight, um, and the branches and limbs themselves were sort of creaking and cracking. Um, so that's what Daryl heard. Yeah, well, wow. um, it's a it's a pity he. I mean, it's a pity we didn't have uh, you know those, the camera sort of technology that we've got today. Um, and it's a pity the police didn't arrive earlier. <laughs> yeah. Because somebody else might have seen it then. Oh, look, honestly, I think if we didn't um, have the technology back then, we'll still get a blurry picture. Yeah, and, and someone, <laughs> you know, the trouble is also you can still you can still fake technology, you know. People That's are right. great at Photoshop these oh, days. Oh, aren't they what? Yeah, it's just a shame, though. Like, every time someone yeah. tries to capture a legitimate UFO, it's just always in blur. It's It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Like given like the, time, yeah, like the kind of cameras we have now these days, like it was brilliant pictures, we still can't seem to catch a damn UFO. No, and if it was clear, people would probably say it was fake. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah absolutely. It, yeah, it, that takes away a lot of the credibility, credibility as well. So, which is a shame, really. If they didn't do yeah. so many fake, yeah, fake videos on the internet, there we'd probably be able to go and decipher the ones between the real ones and the fake ones. But you know, yeah, like you're saying. Technology yeah, these days yeah. is getting too good. We can—it's hard to decipher between the fake ones and real ones, unfortunately. 
Well, it is. And so I put a lot more emphasis in um, the witness testimony, especially if there's multiple witnesses. This, I mean, this, this is my own research project. Um, yeah. I mean, like I say, I wasn't, I didn't used to be interested in UFOs, but um, well, in the last five or six years, I've sort of realised how important the, the conversation is. So, hence, I'm talking about it these days. Yeah, no, that's great that you are, because um, you're definitely putting forward your encounter there, which is, will hopefully encourage others to go and bring theirs forward as well. Which is absolutely a fantastic job, mate. Yeah. You're doing an absolute, absolute fantastic job there, bringing it out. Well, well, thanks, Anthony, and I appreciate you supplying the platform to be able to do this sort of stuff on. No, by all means, mate. This is what we're here for. We want this um, disclosure sort of thing. You know, the more detail, the better. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, before we start the end of the show, mate, is there anything else you want to sort of add to this? No, I think I think I've covered most of the aspects that I can recall. So um, I hope it encourages. Again, I hope it encourages the conversation because that's uh, that's the goal of this. Yeah, no, no worries, mate. That's all good. But mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here, mate. I hope um, other people now understand your encounter that you've had if they haven't already known about your encounter. So hopefully they um, yeah get a bit of a broad perspective of what does go around and that there are actually UFOs having a good old battle in the backyards of people's homes. Yeah, well, that's that's right. That's right. And then thank you again for um for having me on, Anthony. I appreciate it. No worries, mate. You have a good one, mate, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye then. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.